Welcome to the Workplace Happiness Podcast, brought to you by me, Mark Price, and my platform, Engaging Works, designed to help you be happier at work. Having been the boss of Waitrose for many years and working within the John Lewis Partnership, I became interested in the way that we work, how being happy at work can not only transform an individual's life, but how it can also transform an organisation. So my mission is to get the world a little bit happier at work. In doing so, I've created a happiness survey, which measures and then compares to others how happy you are at work. It's free to take, and you can find out about it at engaging.works. In the Workplace Happiness podcast, I'll be speaking to people from all walks of life about how they work and their happiness at work. From people who've had career changes to entrepreneurs who forge their own career paths. It's all about happiness and how we recognise this happiness at work and all get a little bit happier. Hello, my name is Becca and I'm an employee of Engaging Works and I work with Mark. And today we are turning the tables on Mark and we are interviewing him, or rather I am interviewing him. We thought it would be good to go behind the scenes and talk about the founder of Engaging Works and why he set it up and his career. So hello, Mark. Hello. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. We're sitting here uh, in an office in WeWork. Great. So why don't we get started? Um, And I'm I'm being incredibly nosy here myself. What was your first job? Uh, My first job uh, was probably when I was about four, five. Uh, my dad had his own small business, had a, a wholesale business, and he used to buy biscuits and sweets and crisps from the big manufacturers, and then he used to sell them on to the smaller shops. And so from the youngest age, I can remember going out with him uh, in his van. Uh, I can remember him uh, selling to all these small businesses. I can uh, remember helping him unload the big lorries when they came in and load his van. Uh, in the evening, uh, I'd take phone calls from people phoning up with orders. Um, so really from my earliest memory, I can just remember uh, working and, and being in business. Um, there's a law against it now, Child Labour Modern Slavery Act, <laughs> uh, but that hadn't been invented in the 1960s. And so uh, I worked. And what I learned at a very early stage was... Um, if, uh, if my dad had a good uh, month, uh, we used to go to the seaside, uh, Landudno, we'd have an ice cream. And if he had a less good month, uh, my mum would chase us around the house with a slipper, telling us to turn the lights off. So very early on in my career, uh, I learned that there were benefits and consequences to either doing well uh, or less well. But my dad also taught me a lot about... Um, uh, the importance of putting customers first, the long-term benefits of looking after your customer, about treating everybody equally. He used to say there's no profit in prejudice, i.e., you know, uh, everybody is looking to do the right thing. So I learned lots of lessons uh, even before I went into the, the world of work proper. So retail was really, it was inevitable that you would go into retail? Not at all, no. I was a mad king golfer. I, I loved sport when I was young, so... I used to play um, football for Crew Alex Juniors and the school. I played rugby for Crew in Nantwich. But I loved golf. I was a mad king golfer. And I got quite a low handicap. And so it was always my dream to be, um, to be a golf pro. Uh, but my dear old dad said, go to university. Um, and so, or you ought to try to go to university. 
Um, and I went to Crewe County Grammar School for boys. I was very, very lucky. I passed my 11 plus and I went there. Um, and I went to read uh, archaeology and ancient history at uh, Lancaster University, which I loved. And I spent all my summers uh, digging uh, and working in Italy. So I stayed at the British School in Rome. Um, and at the end of my university degree, I was going to dive. Uh, I took a, a diving course in my last year. And I was going to dive for a, a Roman sunken vessel off the coast of Ostia. And so I'd lined that up and I was going to do a PhD and it was going to be around marine archaeology. Or I was going to be a pro golfer. But uh, in 82, when I came out of university, um, uh, the economy wasn't in great mm. shape. And so my dad said, look, apply for a proper job. So I applied for three jobs. I applied for the graduate training schemes in John Lewis, uh, in Marks and Spencer, uh, and in the Thompson organisation, which is a holiday group. Mm. I didn't get an interview with the Thompson organisation, probably because I can't really speak any language as well. Um, but I was offered jobs with both. John Lewis and with M&S and I picked John Lewis because they had two golf courses and five ocean going yachts so wow. I thought it can't be a bad employer. What was your handicap? Uh, well I got as low as um, 1.6. Serious? Um, wow. So yeah I played I was obsessive I That's played a lot good. and then I played up until I was about the age of 27 and I still played off pretty low handicap played for played county golf um, but then I I stopped playing I, I can remember playing one day in a county tournament, um, uh, and I uh, double bogeyed the first and the second, and I was four over, and for the rest of the round, I really ground it out, and I got back into the changing room, and I was exhausted, and I just thought to myself, if I put as much energy and effort into my working life as I do trying to be a good golfer, uh, I'll do much better. And I realised that, you know, I, as much as I love golf, it was never going to be my career and so I stopped playing golf stopped at the age of 27 didn't pick up a golf club for 10 years until I was on the board of Waitrose and they played golf for charity events and other things so I played a bit again but let's I know you don't want to but let's reflect and look back um, uh, when you graduated from university you went to University of Lancaster um, and you went on to the grad scheme in John Lewis what, yep. what was your first role there uh, so the wonderful thing about the graduate scheme in John Lewis is they moved you around lots of departments, so you got a taste of everything. And my very first p the department was the electricals department, and the department manager was a man called Mike Bansback, who was a very good chap, and uh, I sold washing machines and fridge freezers. Um, and then my next department was, uh, was menswear, I think, and then I did kitchenware, and I did garden furniture, um, What's your favourite department? So I was a sort of junior manager uh, running um, Christmas stationery, so I loved that. That was that was great fun. Um, so setting it up and then breaking it down at the end and trading through a season. So I I enjoyed that. But no, and lots I enjoyed them all in different ways really. Uh, but also on on as part of the graduate program, you spent time in finance, time in distribution time in HR, so you got to see all different aspects of the business. And then based on that, you started to make career decisions about what you would do. And where did you, did you quickly know what route you wanted to take? Did you, did you know that you wanted to sort of get to the top? Uh, I, I was certainly ambitious. Um, I don't think I ever sat there and thought I'd end up being deputy chairman and running Waitrose. 
um, it was far more in the moment of what's the next job. And I always used to think the next job. And I can remember saying to my wife, Judith, a long time ago in Southampton, uh, when I was a department manager, so I think I was running menswear in Southampton, John Lewis, I remember saying to her, when I become a general manager, I'll have made it and I'll be happy. Um, and so I suppose that was as far as my expectations really went at that time. Um, but there's one really big lesson that I learned from that, though. When I did become a general manager, for a brief moment in time, I thought, you know, I've made it. This is fantastic. I'll be happy. And I discovered that I wasn't, because I already started thinking about, oh, no, when I'm a managing director, I'll be happy. And so uh, I learnt reasonably early on in my career that the thing that gave me greatest satisfaction was not being promoted, but working with a team of people, uh, achieving things together, celebrating things together. There were some really good life lessons for me early on. I had a great managing director uh, when I went to the John Lewis in Southampton, which was called Tyrrell and Green, a man called Brian O'Callaghan, who was a great mentor to me throughout my career in the Barnship. And um, he always he said to me, Mark, uh, you judge a career over a lifetime, uh, not over a week or a month or a year or five years. And therefore, it's all about how you develop over a lifetime and that you keep finding ways to push yourself. And so that that was a really good life lesson for me. And when I was running Waitrose, I used to get the graduates to come in and they used to be 20 in a year, and I'd sit them down, they'd be 21 and keen as mustard, and I'd ask them how many of them wanted my job, how many wanted to run Waitrose, and about three quarters would put their hand up. And I'd then explain that the normal tenure of a CEO was four or five years, and if you're lucky, you might get to do two CEO roles. And so I'd ask them at what age they'd like to do it, and typically they'd say, oh, when I'm 45 maybe, and I'd say, that's a good call. So then I'd then say to them, so what are you going to do for the next 24 years? And you need to look at it as a progression of learning. So what have I learned? Have I enjoyed the people I've worked with? And if you look at it in that way, rather than thinking the next job's going to make me happy, I think you just have a, a, a more rounded view of your working life, but also a much happier view of your working life. And when it comes to work-life balance, back then when you, you, know, you gave up golf, that's a sacrifice, isn't it? One of your hobbies, focusing on, the, on your career more. How, how, how would you reflect on your work-life balance when you were in, in a John Lewis partnership? Is it healthy? Well, first of all, I don't like the phrase work-life balance. I think that um, to assume that you work and then you have a life is wrong. I think you've got to enjoy your work. And I think you've got to find, you've got to find joy in it. And I always did. So in that sense, I never felt as though there was this sort of division between work and life. It was a division between work and home or work and leisure. People have to have fun. Work should be fun, but you've got to have time for home and leisure. The supreme purpose of the John Lewis partnership is the happiness of the people that work there. So I spent more than three decades working for a, an organisation that had that as its point of being. And over my last 20-odd years in the organisation, on the boards of Waitrose and on the board of the John Lewis Partnership, I spent more time thinking about what does that really mean? What does it mean to be happy at work? And I was very lucky. I went to business schools in you know, London and INSEAD and uh, in America. And so um, when I got to... Um, uh, the time that I was deputy chairman of the partnership, I started to write because I've always enjoyed writing. 
um, what I thought it meant. And I went to the Occupy protest outside St Paul's in London. And I listened to the frustration of people there. And it made me think that part of the answer to society's problems was people feeling more involved in their workplace, feeling that they got a fair reward for their labour. And so I wrote a book called Fairness for All, which was really about the principles of the John Lewis Partnership, how it started, and then about the six things that really do drive workplace engagement. And they're reward and recognition, the sharing of information, empowerment, um, feeling that your organisation cares for your well-being, uh, having a sense of pride, a sense of purpose in what you do, and about job satisfaction, which really is about two things. Am I being developed, and do I have a good relationship with my line manager? So I wrote that book, um, and then on the back of that, uh, at the end of the book, I wrote a chapter saying, if you care about this, you'll want to measure it. And so I built a digital platform called Engaging Works, where any individual in the world can go and measure themselves against those six areas and 20 questions. And it will tell you uh, how you compare to people who look like you. So the survey takes about seven minutes. You get the results in about 20 seconds. And what it says is that in these areas you score more highly or less highly than people who are your gender, your age, your job type, your industry. And then it tries to help people be happier at work through all the things that I've learned. So the reason I set it up is that I genuinely wanted to help individuals all over the world be happier at work and get more from their working life. And I also wanted organisations to be able to do the same. There are a number of engagement surveys now around the world, but the reason the one I built is unique is that... Um, when I was in John Lewis and Waitrose, I can remember setting up the engagement survey about 20 years ago. But there are a number of things it didn't do. It didn't give individuals feedback, uh, which I felt was important. It was massively expensive, and so obviously that put off smaller and medium-sized businesses. So I wanted to do something that was inexpensive. It used to take six to eight weeks to get the results. I wanted people to have the results uh, straight away. And it didn't ever give a comparison of your results against other companies in your area. So I built Engaging Works as well in order that all of those things could be delivered to businesses to help them have a happier workforce. Because I think that uh, an engaged and a happy workforce is obviously good for the individual, their health and their well-being. It's good for all organisations because all the academic research says that if you have uh, more engaged uh, people your profits are higher, your productivity is higher, your wastage is lower, your sick absence is lower, your staff turnover is lower, but also it has societal benefits. Uh, so for all of those reasons, I wanted to build something to help individuals, organisations and society be happier. Obviously you mentioned that you went to see the Occupy protest outside St Paul's. L looking back on that and where we are now today, has society changed in any way since that protest? well-being is at the forefront of people's minds. Do you think people are becoming more aware of, of well-being at work? Uh, so I, I think that societally we have a, a number of really significant issues. Um, technology has uh, had two really significant effects, I think, on, on people in society. One, it's made things more transparent. So it's easier to look for information. It's easier to create a movement of people. Um, and I think as a consequence of that, there is more discontent about 
the haves and the have-nots about how big corporates are behaving, about how governments are behaving. Uh, so there's more transparency. Uh, and the second thing is technology is affecting the way people work. So there's more outsourced, there's people whose jobs are being um, you know, redesigned because of the way that technology is moving forward. And that's creating concern. Um, uh, you know, the notion of a job for life now is, is less obvious in a world where technology is moving in. So I think there's lots of things that are happening in society that are making people feel less comfortable. If you couple with the fact that um, uh, Western governments are struggling to fund their public sector, in the UK you have students coming out of university with huge debt, houses cost a lot of money and people aren't able to afford them in the way that they were historically, we've got a whole host of issues that make people feel that the system, however they describe the system, isn't working. And so when Speed and Lewis set up the John Lewis Partnership in the, uh, after the First World War and into the 1920s, and there was the spread of communism and Marxism and a view that the system wasn't working, many of those things are replicated now. So I think that there is a need to think about capitalism. I am a capitalist. I do believe in capitalism. But is there a more inclusive form of capitalism? Is there a kind of capitalism where people feel that they're involved in it, where all the stakeholders, the employees, the customers, the suppliers, the communities, are more fairly treated than they are now? And one of the things I feel really strongly is that making people feel included in their workplace, looking after their, their happiness and their engagement, is better for society. I think business is aware that things are changing, and I think that you know whatever shade of government you support, broadly speaking, governments are moving uh, in the direction of a more inclusive form of capitalism. Um, big business is more aware of people's concerns about climate change, around uh, plastics. Uh, but I think one of the biggest injustices in the world is whether people are paid fairly for their labour. And so ultimately you have to make sure that people are paid fairly, that they feel involved in the company that they're working in, um, that they feel empowered to make decisions, that the, the organisation cares for their well-being. And so increasingly, whether it's coming out as, you know, companies are concerned about uh, mental health or companies are keen to empower their workforce more, it all plays to this engagement and happiness agenda. So I think it's increasingly important and I think more companies see it as being important. Not, I mean, and I, I suppose that the, the manifestation of that is that I set up Engaging Works under two years ago and I've already got 200 companies that have signed up to, to work with us on the platform uh, and that's globally. So um, I think there is an increasing awareness that you need to think about the engagement of your workforce in order to deliver more. And there's been over 10,000 people taking the Workplace Happiness Survey globally. And um, yeah, as well as companies, that's right. Shall we get you to do it? Yep, we can. Yeah. Yep, we'll and have a go. I'm assuming you've taken this. I, I've done it a few times. A few times, well, yeah. Great, so um, we've got the laptop here. We're going to start the free survey. Everything's free. These tools are free. Do you feel appropriately rewarded for your work? Uh, I'm ridiculously high on this. Um, you yeah, so I'm, I'm very lucky in, in the jobs that I've done. I, I currently am the chair of Fair Trade, which obviously mm -hmm. is not for profit charity. Um, I, I do other things as well, but um, my reward uh, for engaging works is not 
being paid because at the moment I'm investing in it to grow. Mm. It's the fact that you have the opportunity to make people's lives happier at work and uh, every day uh, we have people sign up and you just kind of think that you're making a uh, difference in a small way. So I feel well rewarded, but probably not in a um, uh, in the way you might think of financial, but more in the way of what, what the, the job means. Every day I look at the figures for the number of new sign-ups we've had to the site, number of people who've taken the survey. I don't think an employee should think it's my line manager's responsibility or my organisation's responsibility to make me happy at work. I think it's each of our responsibility. And what I'm trying to do is give people the tools to do that. So I'm trying to equip every individual with the tools to be happier at work, whether it's being able to ask an expert, whether they can find a free mentor, whether they can read articles that give them more information about the job they're doing. So I'm trying to find lots of ways in which I can help individuals get more from their working life. Question to you. Are you happy with your working hours? Yes, I am. I Before I set up uh, Engaging Works, I was the Minister of State for Trade and Investment in the UK and the government. I happened to be doing that job slightly before, but then after the uh, referendum to leave the EU. Mm -hmm. Before the referendum, I spent two weeks in four travelling the world. Mm -hmm. After the referendum, I spent virtually every week on an aeroplane flying the world, trying to persuade people to continue their trade deals with the UK. And I was working, by the time I'd done my post and read boxes, um, probably over 100 hours a week. When I ran Waitrose, I was doing... 70 hours a week, I would say. And were you appropriately rewarded for those hours when you were working in government? So in Waitrose, I was very well paid. Um, In the government, you don't get your reward, I would say, in terms of pay. Uh, In the government, I probably am the same as uh, an experienced Waitrose supermarket manager would get. But you do it for different reasons. I really enjoyed my time in government. Um, I think doing something that felt at the time to be really important to to set up all of those early meetings with all those countries to carry on our trade deals. When the referendum happened and you went in the next morning or you, know, you had your next meeting after the result, did you know that you'd be working more hours? Was it sort of, did you want to stay the long term until we so get can, a deal? Or so were you, were you, did you make a decision then that you thought that's going to be too, too much work? Um, so Cameron asked me if I'd do two years. So uh, the basis on which I took the job was that I would do two years in the job and he recognised that it was a pretty pounding and demanding job you know to be away uh, for half your working year and on planes and flying the world and doing what you have to do and it's full on because you you go to a breakfast meeting you give a speech you then meet officials you then go to a lunch and you give a speech you then meet more officials or businesses you go to a dinner you give a speech and you do that every day so you're giving three speeches a day and daddy daddy it's full on and so he recognised that the average tenure of most uh, trade ministers was a year and a half. And in fact, I, I did a, tra- a year and a half in the end. Um, after Brexit, it just got really crazy. So I can remember sitting up at home. I hadn't planned to be in on the Friday uh, after the referendum. Uh, I can remember sitting up till about 2.30 and seeing that uh, Leave was uh, was going to win. Um I woke up at probably six and obviously it was announced and I decided that I would drive into London from Dorset. So I drove in and I remember how quiet the roads were uh, and I got into, I used to be in two offices. I had an office in the foreign office and I had an office in uh, business, uh, the business department. And I went to business where my team were 
and they were shell-shocked, the civil servants were shell-shocked, because there hadn't been any preparation, and you could say with the benefit of hindsight that was the, the greatest flaw. Uh, driving in on the radio, I listened to David Cameron resign, you know, there wasn't a Prime Minister. Um, government colleagues weren't in the office, everybody was sort of adjusting. I decided that I needed to phone businesses, and so I spent the day on the phone phoning a list of businesses. Um, Martin Donnelly, who was a very excellent permanent secretary uh, in business, um, I agreed with him who we would phone, uh, and I just started to phone and try and reassure that you know we'd have a plan, uh, try to get some early reaction from them. I phoned um, Cecilia Melstrom, who was the uh, trade commissioner for the EU, uh, and I said to her that we, we needed to meet. There had been a, I was a bit naughty, there had been an instruction that we shouldn't have contact, but um, I got on well with her. So I phoned her up to say, look, we just need to find a sensible way of working this through. I phoned um, uh, Azevedo, the, um, the Secretary General of the WTO, uh, who'd been very helpful pre the referendum and just said, look, we're, we're going to need to work something really quickly. Um, and so I spent a day trying to phone and reassure and then the following week, um, uh, I mean, there was just nothing happening, really. Uh, Sajid Javid was the business secretary. So I remember we had a meeting with him uh, and got businesses in. But there was no prime minister. There was no policy. I remember I was committed to go and give a talk to Rupert Murdoch's um, Times 100 leadership conference. And it was probably the worst speech I've given in my life because there was nothing that I could say and... Um, Nick Clegg's uh, wife, uh, who I hold in the highest regard, quite rightly in the question session berated me and said, why are you here not flying around Europe trying to sort of mend bridges? Yeah. To which I said, well, um, I've talked to colleagues in Europe, but until we have a plan and a policy... Mm. And a Prime Minister. And a Prime Minister, it's very hard to be able mm. to do that. So, I mean, it were really, really difficult times. And and I don't blame David Cameron for having the referendum. I, I could see all of the reasons why he would want to do that. If there's anything, I think, with the benefit of hindsight we should have done, is we should have had a, a set out a plan that said, in the event that you vote leave, we will do the following things, and this will be the time frame, and this is how we'll manage it, whereas there was a vacuum. If I could have had a different course with um, Theresa May as Prime Minister, it would have been not to bend to the pressure to sign Article 50 when uh, she did, but rather, again, to allow more time for everybody to agree on what we absolutely wanted. And it was because we didn't do that that um, uh, it's been so difficult to get agreement uh, because it's so complicated. So I mean, it was extraordinary to be in the government through that period and to fly around the world and to try and uh, ensure that people continued with us. So I worked ridiculously long hours. Uh, things that I felt really good about is that we set up the trade policy department. We brought in some brilliant people, very talented civil servants. Uh, we set up uh, our team to negotiate the WTO schedules, which are now in place. Uh, we drafted the trade bill, which I didn't take through. My um, successor, Rona Fairhead, took through, but we drafted that trade bill and we did it in double-quick time brilliant woman called Amanda Brooks led on that. Um, we set up working groups with nine different countries. Uh, there was a team of amazingly uh, hard-working people. It was fantastic. I got to meet um, you know, ministers from all over Europe. I went to 
trade meetings. I went to the G20 trade in Shanghai. I, you know, I just saw a different side of the world. Um, I felt that I did as much as I could practically do to continue to organise the continuity. Um, but it was pounding work. And I suppose Engaging Works was calling you. Were you thinking, oh, I want to do my own thing, be my own boss again? Yeah, it, well, it, it, yeah, it was Becca. So, um, I mean, all the time I'd written my book, I'd published my book. Theresa May was fantastic to me. Number 10 allowed me to publish Fairness for All when I was still a minister, which um, the last person apparently who ever wrote a book uh, and published it while they were in a government post was Winston Churchill. Oh, wow. So um, it's not something they allowed, but um, for whatever reason, because I'd written it, it was with my publisher. And does writing make you, did it make, doesn't writing make you happy? Uh, the wonderful thing about I write children's books and I write food books and I write business books. And the wonderful thing about writing is that um, it takes you away. So all you focus on is the words that you're writing and finding the right phrase. And, and so for me, it was a release from thinking about things. And do you, do you try to carve out, in, you know, you talk about time, do you try to carve out time in your day to write? Is it important for you to sit down and write? So I decided when I stepped down from government that I would take nothing on for a year. So I was offered lots of different jobs and I said no, I wanted space. And so uh, the Chairmanship of Fair Trade I took on after a year, I've joined the board of a FTSE 100, which I have only done very recently, um, uh, Lancaster University, I sit on the board there, but I've only done, I did that after a, a year, year and a bit. And the reason I wanted to take that year is I did want to write, and I sat down every morning and I wrote. Ultimately, I got to the point where I realised that um, it, it's quite isolating, and I, I need people, I need to work in a team, I need to achieve things with a team. And so I gradually, as we built engaging work, because the early days were just building the the digital capability um, but that takes more time now so I write less um, and really now I, I write on holiday uh, I write when the house is in you recess yeah I, I do I do but I need to I now need to find the time and space I've got, I've got a novel that I've drafted in two parts which is all about the business world and I know that to finish that I need to take three or four months away to write and at the moment I can't mm. see when I'm going to get three or four months apart from that I sort of I'll write on a Saturday morning or a Sunday morning and of course you're in the House of Lords how much time does that take up for you uh, well I come up to London when I'm asked to for the house uh, so uh, I get notes from my whip saying there's a vote and you need to be here I was on a committee uh, called uh, about intergenerational fairness and I sat on that for nine months, uh, and that finished in March of, of this year. But I really go to the House, either if there's a debate I really want to listen to, or alternatively there's legislation that I, I am asked to be there to vote on. It's very hard to have a, a, a proper, structured, normal job if you're in the House of Lords. Um, do you enjoy it? I do enjoy it. I th- there are the most wonderful people, and to be at the heart of what's happening with our legislation and what's at the heart of political life it's fantastic but you have to accept if you do that you need a very different kind of business life I couldn't now be I don't know the chief executive of of Sainsbury's you just couldn't do it because of the time that's needed for the house Um, so what I build around um, coming up to London on normally a Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday to be in the house if I need to be in the house 
is my time with engaging works um, and then my other uh, NED roles. Mm -hmm. So in question two, are you happy with your working hours? Is yes, so, so now I've got this amazing flexibility where everything I do is, is, is based around me so I can, you know, if Judith wants me to go off and do something with her, I can do that or vice versa. It's very freeing. Compared to the structure I had running Waitrose and the structure I had being in the government, definitely. Okay, question three. Do you feel recognised when you do something well? Um, I'm going to give myself a low score here because oh I, I don't recognise myself. Do you think about it? Do you reflect? No. You don't even think about it? No. I'm restless, constantly restless. If something's done, um, I, I think I'm really good at praising other people. Um, you are. And recognising <laughs> other people. Yes, you are. Um, and I recognise how important that is. But I don't recognise when I've done something well. I'll constantly say, I could have done that better. One of the lessons I learnt really on in my business life was that every day you should reflect on what you've done and how you could be better. So I have this advice for people going into their careers to say you should think about it as 24 years, what, what's your ultimate ambition? Three years, think about three-year chunks, what you want to achieve in a three-year chunk. And then every day. And so one of the things I've always done at the end of every day is just find 10 minutes or even a little bit longer just to sit and think about what did I do in that day? What do I think I did well? What could I have done better? And so my mindset is continually, I could have done better. I could have done better. So I never, ever have stopped and thought, oh, really well done, Mark. That's good. Do you think that's, that mindset is how you got to where you got to with Waitrose? I think there are two keys for... Most people I've met who have been successful, however you define successful, but a bit successful in the business context, one, they're very self-critical and they're restless about what they're doing. Uh, they're always thinking about more. The second is they tend to be great optimists. Mm. So they're always saying, you know what, I feel really positive we can do this. And um, people tend to follow optimists, but they're optimists who have got um, pretty good personal IQ about what they're doing. So I'm, I'm restless to want mm. to do more. I'm always, I couldn't, it's why the writing, sitting at home for a year writing, in the end wasn't right for me. I, I, I knew it needed to be a balance with other things. I'm probably going to go five, five because okay. uh, I, I know I should do my, I know I should be better. Okay. Uh, question four. Do you have enough information to do your job well? Well, yeah, it's up to me whether I have the information. Mm -hmm. There are some more things I'd like to know about the performance of our, uh, website etc um, but they're all in the build and I'll yeah. get them but by and large and I nine. definitely have enough information to yes. do my job well question five do you feel information is openly shared with you at work yeah well as I own the business there's an interesting I chair fair trade and when you're the chairman of an organization one of the things that you constantly have to ask yourself is have I got an open and transparent view of what's going mm. on and to a large extent, that depends on the relationship you have with your CEO yeah. and the, the rest of the executive team. Are they sharing information? Uh, but by and large, I would say, yes, I'm giving myself a nine. And in government, do you think, did you feel that information was shared openly? In the, in the government, even more information was shared. You, you, could, you could argue there was an overload of information. I mean, I'd open my box and you'd be copied into... Uh, particularly because it was trade and every department in one aspect or another dealt with trade, th there was lots and lots of information. At Waitrose, I had all the information I needed. Um, I think when I was more junior in the organisation, I would have liked to have understood the bigger picture, mm -hmm. uh, and I didn't. But as as you become more senior, one of the benefits is you see more. 
It, it was one of the reasons when I ran Waitrose, we used to share with the whole organisation board minutes. Because I used to think, you know, even if you're working, um, I don't know, as a cashier in one of our shops, you should know what the board's discussing. You should know, you know, how we're thinking about investments. So I became a great comfort to the view that not only need, do you need to give people the information to do their particular job well, you need to give them the information to put their job into the context of how the organisation's doing. So do you feel you... empowered to make decisions? Well, if I can't make decisions, um, no, owning and setting up, uh, engaging That's work, a no, can, so yeah, definitely a 10. That's question 7. Do you feel trusted to make decisions? Uh, again, well, it's interesting. Do I trust myself? The con if you're setting something up, you have to be an optimist about it. And you have to think, this is really good, this is going to work. At the same time, you, you battle self-doubt. And you're saying, when do I know it's not working? And if it's not working, what do I do? Would you like somebody to... You know, you could bounce ideas off. Obviously, you've got your daughter Holly working with you. Do you yeah. do you use Holly enough in bouncing ideas up and questioning your decisions? Yeah, Holly's not afraid to say that she doesn't agree, which is mm. fantastic. But I've always tried to create an environment around me where people feel, I hope, that they can say, do you think that's right? Can you do things differently? So I think that if you can be open and transparent... Uh, and you can encourage people to um, uh, give you bad news, that's good. Quite often what I do in board meetings or larger meetings is I will ask somebody to be deliberately negative. So I'll say, look, I want somebody to have the black hat at this meeting, and I want them to play a role where they just say things that are bad, not because you know they might not think those things, but just because we need to be challenged. So, do you feel trusted to make decisions? This is about me trusting myself. I trust myself probably seven, seven. to make okay. decisions. Do you have the resources you need to do your job well? Definitely not. I definitely would love more resource. What resource? Oh, we need to grow our sales team. We need to grow our marketing team. We need to grow the capacity to um, build our online presence. So, uh, you, you've, there's always more that you want to do than you can do. And so it would be love. It would love be lovely to be uninhibited um, by any kind of resource constraints. Having said that, I don't think then you get the best outcomes. Question nine. Are you happy with your working environment? Yes, I am. Very happy. Question if nine. I'm working at home, I've got a lovely environment. We work is the offices we work in. They're fantastic. Uh, so yeah, happy with my Question environment. Uh, are my views heard? What do you think, Becca? I think your views are heard. I work. think they're heard, yeah. That's a 10. I hope I communicate reasonably clearly. Very clearly. Question 11. Do you feel the organisation cares for your well-being? I think this is, do I care for my own well-being? And I'm going to put three. I'm hopeless. Why? Oh, I God, I need to be fitter. I need to lose weight. I need to smoke less. I need to probably drink a bit less. I need to... <laughs> be more mindful and um, I'm 58 now and I'm thinking I'm not going to live to forever and I'm, uh, there's so much I want to achieve and I kind of think I need 20 or 25 more years to do the things that I want to do, to build these platforms out, to reinvent social media and what mm. social media should be, uh, the things that I need to write um, and I recognise that if I don't do a better job at looking after myself uh, I might be lucky to get 20 weeks, not 20 years, so I've Are you working got to on that? Better. 
Is I'm it, swimming, so I, yeah, I, so I, I swim now. So I go swimming with Judith uh, two times a week, three times a week. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm more mindful, yeah. but there's a lot more I need to do. Question 12. Do you rarely feel depressed and anxious at work? I do rarely feel depressed and anxious at work. I am an optimist. Um, I'd rather that people gave me problems and I solve them. So the vast majority of my business life, I've been a manager and people come to you with problems. So mm. as a manager, your job is to try and help solve problems for people. And the more senior you become, the bigger the problems. Yeah. And so now, having been a government minister, chaired big charities, um, uh, done all kinds of amazing things I won't talk about, <laughs> uh, run Waitrose, I- I'm used to dealing with problems. really big problems. And Brexit was a big problem. Big problems. <laughs> and so what I try to do now is... They don't phase me. The thing that makes me more anxious is when I know people are not telling me there's a problem. Mm. Because I'd far rather say, look, we've got a problem with that. And I'll say, okay, fine, let's sit down and work it through together. So, uh, but I rarely feel uh, anxious. I'm giving giving myself a nine on that. That's nice and high. Question 13. Uh, Yes, I definitely do something worthwhile. I think trying to make people uh, happier and more fulfilled and healthier in their working life is definitely, for me, worthwhile. Question 14. Do I feel proud to work for my organisation? Of course I do. Hugely proud. Um, And hopefully as we get bigger and bigger and help more and more people, I'll become prouder and prouder. Question 15. Now, seeing that I have my eldest daughter working with me in the business and my youngest daughter would really like to come work in the business uh, when she finishes her education, I think that I am highly likely to recommend uh, working at Engaging Works. Definitely. Question 16. Do I feel I'm treated with much respect? I do, yeah. I'm really lucky. Um, I've had the most amazingly lucky career. Uh, do you feel lucky or hard work? No. Well, yeah, I, I think, I think yeah, loads of people work hard. But there's so much luck. You know, being in the right time at the right place, a vacancy comes up. So going into the government happened because I was retiring from the John Lewis Partnership. At the moment in time, they were looking for a trade minister. Mm. Now, uh, I'd obviously had a successful business career and I, I knew the then Prime Minister, David Cameron, and I'd done some work uh, with him on various things. So part of it was I'd worked hard, I'd been successful, I knew him, but there had to be the vacancy. And so when you look back, I think luck and timing plays a huge role. I think what you then have to do when you get that is you have to take advantage of it, and that comes down to hard work hard and ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I've been... You know, lucky and very, hard very work, lucky. good combination. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I often think that to be, to be really successful, to get the most from a job, the first thing you need is credibility to do the job. So if you are going to be, I don't know, the head of marketing, you have to be a good marketer, you have to have the technical skills. And then, then after that, you have to have the ability to lead a team and to have the uh, respect of a team. Um, and then really to get the most from a job is that you have to enjoy going on a journey with that team. So I've been really lucky that, uh, you know, wherever I've been, I've been lucky, I've been treated with respect, I've worked hard, I've loved the people that I've worked with, I think they've been skilled and talented, so I've been very lucky. Do you enjoy your job? Uh, Well, I do so many jobs, but yes, I really enjoy my job. Uh, there are things that you worry about, but in a very good way. Question 18. 
do I have a good relationship with your line manager? This is, do I have a good relationship with myself? Um, by and large, I do. I'm too, I'm probably too hard on myself, too self-critical, right. but uh, I do. Great. I think now we've got to move because we've gone over our time. So okay. Question 19. Do you feel you are being developed? Yeah, I do. I've been very, very lucky. I um, uh, was developed through my time in John Lewis. I mean, I ran Waitrose. I left in my partnership in my 10th year of running Waitrose. I was 55 years old uh, and I'd been deputy chairman for three years. And it's certainly true to say that when you've done a job for that length of time, you do start feeling as though you've done you it all. Restless. Uh, in part restless, but also you thought, you know, it's another budgeting round, it's another. So you need to move on. There's, I developed hugely in the government. I learned so much from so many people. Not just how our political system works and how the Lords works, but how international diplomacy and trade works. And then, of course, setting up Engaging Works has brought me into the whole new world of tech and startup. So I've developed lots. So that's a 10. Yeah, I've developed. But also, I was saying this, it's the individual's responsibility to develop themselves. So expecting your line manager to develop you or expecting the organisation to develop you, I think is right in part. You should have some expectations. But I think you've got to look at yourself and say, what am I doing to develop myself? So is that about voicing, you know, saying you want to go on training courses, you know, you're just voicing it to your line manager? Yeah, well, one of the things that you get as a result of engaging works is areas where you can personally develop, and we help people do that. So we've built a business library with resources that people can go to to develop. We, we offer free mentoring so that people can get um, independent advice on how they can develop. So it's trying to equip people with all the tools that they need to measure their workplace happiness, um, their EQ, their IQ, their personality profiles, all for free, so they can be better and happier in the work that they do. Great. So, next question. Question 20. Uh, are you happy at work? Uh, the, the, yes, I, I am happy at work. Given the caveat, as I said earlier, that, that I, am, um, I am restless by nature. So I always want to be achieving more, doing more. And I always have to be really conscious that I don't reflect that on the people around me. I often joke that when God was handing out patience, I was behind the bike shed having a fag. And so I've had to learn to be patient. I've had to learn that people don't work at the speed that I work at. Their thought process is obviously, by the very nature of not having the same thought process as you behind you, and so I, I am happy. I do feel that what I'm doing is worthwhile, which is great. But I also recognise flaws in myself um, around managing my impatience, um, managing my restlessness about wanting to do more. And so that will always take the edge off for me about how happy I feel. Okay. Um, but for the people that work with me, all I desire is for them to be getting the most they can be getting out of the working relationship. So, do you feel happy at work? I'm going to give myself an eight. An eight because, but I, I know I could never be ever any, any more than an eight. Interesting, right. Question 21. What would make me happier? I think the first thing is uh, my diary management. I do lots of things. I'm on 
a number of boards. I write books. I'm in the House of Lords. I'm building engaging work. So there's something about maximising my time, and I don't always feel I do that as well as I could. So knowing that my time is used well would be really good. Uh, spending more time with my wife, Judith. It's not a workplace happiness thing, but finding a way to uh, have more time with her because in the week I'm up in London and she's mm. down in Dorset. So just seeing more of her uh, would definitely improve Make my workplace happier. happiness. Um, I think three has got to be resource, based mm-hmm. on what I said earlier. I yeah. just would like to have more resource. What I've, what I've learned on resource, though, is that um, you need to grow a business or an organisation at a pace that it feels comfortable with that growth. Mm-hmm. And I think that many businesses fail because they grow too quickly and they trip over themselves, so they don't deliver on their promise. Mm-hmm. So we had what we described as a monastic expansion policy in John Lewis, which was we would grow when we had the people to grow. Mm-hmm. So John Lewis would never go out and buy 30 department stores from Debenhams. It would open one shop a year, that sort of thing. And again, with resource, why would you like more resource? I just want to feel that we're growing, engaging works in, or, in an organic way mm-hmm. where we just every day, every week, every month get a bit better and a bit better and the people that we have working in the organisation grow and we get better and better and better. Mm-hmm. So it's resource in the context of growing organically at a, a manageable rate. Right. Question 22. I'm a man. You are a man, so now we get into the... I'm a man, specific. but uh, I am a man surrounded by women. So at home I have right. a, a wife and two daughters, and of my three dogs, um, uh, the balance is female. Uh, I've Here got parrots, uh, they're female. Uh, and then in the office, uh, as you know, we are a female-dominated we really office. We are, I didn't really reflect on that, but we are. So the head Do of tech is a woman. And your age range, where are we? Uh, I'm 58, so I'm getting towards the top of the scale. Are you manager? You are definitely management. I'm management, yeah. Which job reflects you? I think Um, we've got founder, CEO, uh, CEO, chairman. Yeah, let's go for that. CEO, chairman. Industry. So we're tech. Tech. Are you happy being out of retail? Or is it always something that you're going to get back into? Uh, well, we start retailing on the uh, the web platform very shortly, so we're going to launch a business library, and I want the business library to be uh, the place that people go to for all of their resource. So we will sell books and e-books and audio books, as well as allowing people to post in our business library um, and to upload. So you'll be able to create your own uh, library. Um, so my hope is that we will develop the place to go to. So when I do that, back I w- I'm back into retailing, which will be are a you, fun ex- thing. Are you excited about that? It, to be honest, I'm a bit daunted by it because really? I know how much there is to do to be successful at mm. it. But uh, yeah, it'd be nice to get sales figures every day and to, to see how that part goes. But the thing I like about the platform that we built is that we do get loads of data. So every day we see how many people sign up, how many visited the website. And that drives you, seeing those figures. So that was the great thing in retail that used to drive me. It was that daily fix of how you're doing. And it was so immediate. You could do something you knew if it worked or not. Is it addictive? It is addictive and it plays to my impatience. So, you know, I know very quickly if things are going well or not. And then I can hopefully make interventions to make things better. Mm. Right, 27. Which country do you live in? I live in the United Kingdom. 
Yes, you haven't seen. I'm white nice. Caucasian. And finish. That's it. Now, how do you think you've done? I think I'll score very highly. And the reason that I'll score highly is that you find that people who have control over their business life and are optimists score more highly than people that don't feel they have control over the business life and are pessimists. So for you, it's all about control? Interview. Yeah, I, th mm. I think that's right. So I, I think it comes down to six things. Do I feel fairly rewarded? And am I recognised for what I do? Then am I given information? Uh, do I feel that my well-being is looked after? Do I have control and mm -hmm. power? So all of the things that drive uh, your enjoyment of work have a large amount to do with the control that you feel you have. Mm. And the reason I built Engaging Works is to try and give people power or control over what drives their happiness at work. So I think you should take as an individual responsibility for your workplace happiness. I don't think you should rely on your manager making you happy. You should rely on working out for yourself how happy you are. And one step in taking control in your workplace happiness is doing the survey. And Mark, I can see now that your happiness rating is 856 out of 1,000. Very good. Very good. And the industry is... 686 uh, and global is 654. So you're way above average. Yep, I would hope today. to So be. if we go down and just take a look a bit more in depth, uh -huh. looking at the overview. So reward and recognition, you're at near the, you're excellent, 80 out of 100. Information is good, empowerment's very good. Your well-being is a little bit down, 78, So, but you're working on that. Trying. That's good. Pride, job satisfaction, you get full marks at 100 out of 100. Mental health, well-being, that's very high, that's good. So, um, comes to the last two questions that we all, you, you always ask every guest. What song makes you happy? Um, I think for the purpose of this, I will say Ken Dodd, Happiness. Do, 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 happiness, happiness. The greatest gift that I could bless. I thank the Lord that I could bless with all of my share of happiness. To me, this world is a wonderful And that goes back to my childhood. Does it? And, and, what, is it what memories does that invoke? Oh, just, just really happy memories of uh, growing up with my brother and sister and going on picnics and having. Ice cream's in London now, and um, so, so yeah, so Ken Dodd, uh, happiness, but there are loads of others. Good choice, and you always ask somebody to nominate somebody to do the Workplace Happiness Survey. Who would you nominate? Who do you want to do this survey? You know what, I hadn't thought about this. I asked the question at the time. I hadn't thought about either of those questions. I suppose um, uh, Boris Johnson. I worked for a while with Boris. He was the Foreign Secretary when I was working mm. In the Foreign Office, um, he was a great optimist. But I suppose um, it would be interesting to uh, peel Boris back and use the survey to understand his motivations at work and what made him happy and less happy at work. In the uh, quasi-religious sphere, uh, the Dalai Lama, mm -hmm. uh, I would love to ask uh, him a good one. how he felt at work and how he felt about happiness. Um, there's some of these questions I'd, I'd really like to ask the Prince of Wales, mm -hmm. um, who I think is a remarkable individual. In the business world, Richard Branson, mm -hmm. uh, I'd love to know what's made him tick over his life. So yeah, probably one or all of the above. Well, 
we'll try and get them on the Workplace Happiness podcast. Mark, thank you so much. Thank you, Becca. You've been brilliant. Thank you for listening. And again, if you want to take control of your workplace happiness, go to engaging.works and take the free happiness survey. See you next time.